But Out Now is a film podcast where Abe and I normally discuss new movies weekly. However, every now and then we like to have these special bonus episodes, whether it's on our fun commentary tracks or something completely different. And this is something completely different. This is a this is a special bonus um, that was pulled together for a variety of reasons that we'll get to in a second. But um, the main subject, if somehow you've avoided looking at your iPod or whatever you're listening to this on and decided not to look at any information, you're just like, I'm going to listen out now. What's on? <laughs> so if you've avoided all that, you're like, I just want to hear them talk. This is what it is. We're um, we're gonna go over an, a a subject that I, I think is quite interesting: the idea of uh, millennials and their regard for classic cinema, and just frankly, older films that kind of go beyond when millennials were born, um, generally before 1990, if not even later. Which I guess we can also get to as far as defining the age bounds and what have you. Um, joining me to discuss this topic, uh, we have from HHWLOD and the Nothing's On podcast. Uh, Jim Dietz. Hello. Uh, from Wise to Blue and the Colts and McCavalcade podcast, it's Brandon Peters. That's me. And from Maxwell's Chop House itself, it's Maxwell Hatted. How heady hey. How are the uh, three of you doing tonight? Excellent. Not so bad. I'll live. <laughs> good. good. Good to know. Uh, <laughs> glad we got the, the pleasantries out of the way. We're all doing fine, it seems. Um, Let's get right into it, because this is all the episode's going to be. This is just going to be a, a discussion about this topic, about millennials and classic films. Let, let's get into why this came up. J- Jim, wh- why don't you start us off here? Well, Neil Gabler wrote a perspective piece in the Los Angeles Times uh, titled, Millennials Seem to Have Little Use for Old Movies. And it is built on shaky uh, argument at best. Uh, he uses the Spider-Man franchise reboot as his... Uh, like uh, the cornerstone of his argument here that uh, millennials have no use for anything with history. And uh, I, I love that little bit of hyperbole here. Even Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man is a Model T next to Andrew Garfield's rocket ship of a movie and Model T's get thrown on the junk heap. But he has like a lot of anecdotal evidence and stuff. I just got to say, I, I've really not liked Neil Gabler since they tried to put him on as the um Cisco Niebert, uh, back in the day, had a show on PBS called Sneak Previews before they had their own, you know, Cisco Niebert at the movies. And when Cisco Niebert spun off to do their own show, they brought in uh, Jeffrey Lyons, also from the Chicago Sun-Times, and Neil Gabler to to try to make up for Ebert and Cisco and pale comparisons. And Neil Gabler always came off as very kind of pretentious and a little bit self, self-sanctimonious and stuff. And... Uh, didn't have any use for like genre films, for instance, things like that. So I, I've not liked Neil Gabler as a critic for a long, long time and didn't know that this came from him was no surprise. But basically his his main thesis is that uh, millennials only uh, care about, you know, newer, faster now versions of things. And uh, again, he uses the Spider-Man franchise as like his central thesis here. Um, but I don't know, man. I'm not sure about it. Yeah. I I saw I, I saw that article, and I also saw this more recent article from the New York Post, um, published literally like like seven days ago, 
um, which has the same basic topic. The title is Millennials Don't Really Care About Classic Movies. And obviously a respectable trade such as the New York Post, you know, it really gets my attention. So I, I just, I, oh. <laughs> I, 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 found, I, found, I found this to be a fascinating topic. But clearly, Jim, you did too, because you you saw this and you, you know, asked for Brandon and I's thoughts on uh, on Facebook in a, in a comment section. And Brandon, why don't you go from what happened from there? Well, I... <laughs> I wasn't ready to respond. I had too much to respond about. And so I messaged Aaron and I said, hey, this would be a better conversation topic on a podcast, wouldn't it? And Aaron said, done. We're doing it. And, and so we, we've we worked this up together and we're, we're here now because there's there's too much. Like, I, I'm gl- I think it's great. I was like happy Jim wanted my opinion on it. But I'm like, I've got too much to say. I owe Jim more than just typing a paragraph and waiting <laughs> for people's responses. Yeah, and obviously I, 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 I was typing that paragraph literally as he responded. <laughs> I was getting that going. I was, but you suggested this as a podcast. I'm like, well, that makes a lot of sense. I like the the idea of that. And um, fortunately, we were also able to get Maxwell in here. Um, I asked a bit of last last minute notice, but I was like, well, this I think Maxwell, based off just how my you know friendship with you let alone just what i see is as far as how you kind of write on twitter what have you i have a sense of kind of how where you stand on this subject for obvious reasons but also just generally your regard for classic cinema and i think by having brandon myself and maxwell who i think we all are about like a few a couple years at most separated from each other in age um along with jim who i think has a good perspective on this not just because he's you know some, somewhat older than us but also he interacts with many people that are millennials or of all ages really talking about various forms of cinema and what have you as it's evolved over the years so i thought having all of us together to discuss this topic would be interesting can i show can i tell you my interesting conundrum we have here mm-hmm. i am a millennial according to statistics by 20 days <laughs> No, uh, the millennial count starts in 1982. My hmm. birthday is January 20th, 1982. So apparently a lot changed in the world from December 31st to January 1st to January 20th. So I, well, I, I'm, I'm a 20, 20 day fresh millennial. Well, I've always sort of felt like there's a missing generation in between uh, X and millennials. Because I don't really think that people who are 35 or 36 are millennials in the way that the term is commonly used in the media. Yeah, they're they're working on that right so, now because there's we're the bridge. My, apparently, my age to back backing it up to like 77 or so is like the bridge between millennials and Gen X, where I know it using a book is like and i know what using a computer is like right. so 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 is generation y the same as millennial is that the the take that i'm supposed to have on that Gen- generation y has no distinct date it's it's a it's a crossover where it starts somewhere amidst where they have generation x and then goes pretty much along with the millennial line because I, I have a graph pulled up where it says Generation X is 1965 to 1984, mm. Millennials is 82 to 04, and Generation Y is somewhere in there. So it's it's, it's a it's bit of a mess. But I don't know if you guys ever watch Adam Conover. You know, Adam ruins everything or whatever. But he did a 20 yeah. minute talk on YouTube about why the the whole you know generation thing is kind of all bull. 
and how it's all marketing terms and things like that. And I mean, it's easy to kind of classify generations that way, but in actuality, the, uh, the actual trends in like births and 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 you know social uh, changes and things like that really don't really don't scan that way. But I mean, for for purposes of discussion like this, it's it's definitely handy, you know. Um, I'm definitely firmly in Gen X, probably the earlier part of Gen X. Let me ask you this: Do any of you do any of you remember life before internet, before the internet? Yes. Oh, yes. Okay. Yeah, Very absolutely. Yeah. Because I think you guys are gonna be the last generation too. Remember that? Yo, that's yeah. def- I mean, that's definitely the case. Is I think we are the last folks who sort of knew a an analog existence. And I, I think the the thing that kind of gets um, lost in this kind of discussion about whether you know gen, uh, whether the millennials have any use for old cinema or whatever is is access. I mean, when I was first getting into like you know uh, especially foreign cinema and, and and you know really an older cinema from the 30s and 40s back in the 70s and 80s when I was a kid, um, mostly the 80s, I. Um, it, it, it wasn't always available to me. You know what I mean? I, I didn't get to see, you know, Fanny and Alexander until the nineties when I saw it in a, in a rep house, you know, later on, you know what I mean? Now those things are like at everyone's fingertips. Wikipedia is at everyone's fingertips. You can become an instant, uh, uh, you know, uh, um, expert about Francois Truffaut, you know, that's, by reading, right. by reading the Wikipedia and getting the criterion, you know, streaming feed and spending a week doing it. You know what I mean? Back in the day, it wasn't always so easy. You know, I mean, we'd have to drive 50 miles to like the one art house theater that was showing something like, you know, showing something along those lines. And I think now, I mean, I, I don't, here I go sound like old man Dietz or whatever, but like the, the, the access is so much greater now to that stuff that it's just easy to just dial in and just like all of a sudden learn everything there is to know or about Hitchcock, you know, and have it all there at your fingertips. Or, which, or, which makes me wonder it, if critics are you know, people that are writing these types of articles that are, you know, spreading this kind of idea about the lack of appreciation for classic cinema. Like, I, it makes me wonder if the they kind of scoff at that sort of research as opposed to doing the work or growing up with it instead because we have so much easily available access to said things. I wonder if it's not even – if they don't count it as valid, as it's more of like, well, yeah, you just read that thing as opposed to going to the library or going to the cinema in the 1970s well, and really well, seeing these films and smelling the prints or what have you. As someone um, who had to, like, search out VHS tapes of things that I really wanted to see that weren't mm-hmm. available, there there's a, there's a relief that things are so available. And, and you know, but there's all – and I'm like, wow, I'm glad and I'm glad I can share like this is being shared with people that others can see it, that I can talk to them about. But then there's like an opposite end of the, the spectrum where people feel there's so many people watching it that haven't earned it. And I remember a article written uh, by uh, former journalist, sexual predator uh, Devin Faraci about uh, – going through a house to find like certain movies to buy them off some guy. He flew to a town and it was some quadriplegic guy that he had to carry down to his basement to show him stuff, to buy stuff, to find this rare stuff and being pissed that today people didn't have to do that. But Mm. you have more people to share it with. People can find it. But then again, there's a more twisted opinion because it was so easy to find. There's a lack of appreciation of the journey to go find it too but 
there's kind of two views on that though. There's like yeah. exclusive, like like you're saying, you know, oh, you need to dig through the flea markets and find a beatle VHS copy. You want to be the guy that, 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 that you know, brought you, it to people, like rather and, than and, just uh, being there. Right. Or, but that's kind of you know. Like, by by making it available to everyone kind of ruins their specialness. You know what I mean? You find the same kind of mentality in college uh, uh, radio too. You know, like among the indie bands and and you know special edition printings of, of of songs. You know, oh this is only on 500 you know copies or whatever. You know, and they only played it live once or something. You know, but it's, it's the same deal. I mean, but there's that that ex the exclusive, and then there's the inclusive where I'm coming from, which is like, dude. Let it all be there. Let everybody who likes it like right. it. Include everyone. And thank God, because I hated having to go through and like yes. trying to find old v, old beat up VHS copies in the library of you know uh, Jeremy Brett Sherlock Holmes or just something geeky I wanted to see. You know what I mean? Would and, you rather? I would much rather be able to press two buttons and have it in front of me now. So I don't really go with that whole like you know right. oh this is an exclusive club and you're not allowed thing. I'm like. No, let the floodgates open. Let would everybody you, see this stuff and talk about it and discuss it. Right. Would you Would you like to hear about something great and never, ever get to see it? Or be able to hit a button, see it, but everybody else gets to hit the same button? Like, and, I, and, I'd, but, I'd rather and, see it than wonder. And then there's that whole, yeah, and then there's the whole thing of like, well, I've seen it and you haven't, blah, 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 blah. You know, that kind of thing. And that exclusivity really kind of turns me off. I really, if anyone should be inclusive, it should be like pop culture geeks. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. When I, you were I, talking, hold, hold, Max, what are, you, what are you trying to say? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Well, I want to take it a step back. So if you guys want to finish your line of thought, that's fine. Oh, and then I'll well, take I, my I was step just, back. I was just going to say, Jim, you mentioned like foreign films and stuff that's so accessible that they push a button, but there's still so much that isn't. Right. Like, there's. The, can you find me a Dario Argento classic on streaming? No. Well, I think Shudder has now started lifting that but there's so many of those that aren't there like you can get now like the the first wave of like oh known directors and stuff with like filmstruck are breaking through to the streaming but there's so many that are going to get left in the dust and it it's still a still a tough thing so, to find. so we're talking about accessibility and the kind of the, the rights to you know have a claim to the said things or whatnot which is which is fine that's fine but like, i i think maxwell you would want to take a step back which i think makes us back to kind of the main topic right as far as yeah i mean i think accessibility and access is a huge proponent of this conversation but i would sort of argue that i feel like every generation is most interested in the art that's created during the time in which they're coming of age and growing up yes right and so i think it's become super cachet for journalists to target millennials i mean every day there's Five or ten new articles about millennials <laughs> are killing this, right. that, and the yeah. other oh, thing. Right. By the way, napkins. I want to wait, napkins. Wait. They're destroying I napkins. I want to personally thank you guys for killing Applebee's. Okay, right. Applebee's sucks. Thank you right. so much. Right. I we know. Kill chain restaurants kill and all. let mom and pop kids. places flourish. Awesome. But that's but, what they never report. They always report on the corporate things that millennials, like they're saying, they're destroying the beer industry, but they don't even mention how prosperous the craft beer industry is doing. Right. Well, Budweiser is swill, and I would rather drink a, a decent craft beer. Right. But that's besides the point. So let's take this New York Post article for a second. If you look at the byline, it's written by SWNS, which is just the Southwest News Service. So there's not even one person taking credit for it. <laughs> and then if you read through the article, the entire thesis is based upon a, a survey of 1,000 people that FYE did. 
So from the get-go, I am super skeptical about these <laughs> results because it's a small sample size, and it's a survey being run by a company whose pure goal it is is to sell DVDs, Blu-rays, CDs, etc. Right. You know, people are most interested, like I said before, in art that they can connect to and consider theirs. So if you would go back to the 60s and 70s, people who are 20 and 30 in the 70s want to watch Apocalypse Now and Easy Rider and probably were less interested in going back and watching Treasure of the Sierra Madre or whatever. So I don't I think it's systemic just the way that people generally relate to art, particularly uh, general population. When you're kind of fond of the 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 decade right before you that you missed, because I always had this like fondness for like 70s stuff. Yeah, me too. Sure. And it was right before I was 82, just right before me. And then there's people like right in the early 90s that probably are fond of like, you know, probably the latter 80s stuff. So there's there's that bit because you just missed that boat. So you're always you you never got to be right in it. So you're kind of eager to dive into that. But also, here's the thing: what is classic anymore? Because I, I go back to I had a friend who was a teacher, and she said one of the minutes she felt like really old was a moment when she had a day in class and asked her students what kind of music do you listen to, and one student said, "I listen to a lot of classic rock." like the Red Hot Chili Peppers and the Smashing Pumpkins. Those were regular old modern bands. When I was when I was growing up, the classic was like Led Zeppelin and uh, like right. uh, Credence and, and those. And you know what? I'm as far removed from those now as they were when I was a youth. But kids now, so like their classic is defined differently than our classic. Well, and, you know, I generally think, and this is a super basic metric, but you, something needs at least 20 years of existence right. to start being considered a classic. But it's 2017. That means movies yep. from 1997 are classics now. Guess what? We're, we're growing up Citizen Kane. Classic. Guess what's classic now? The Terminator. Titanic? The Terminator. <laughs> no, Titanic. I mean, yeah, honestly. Titanic is going to work. Shawshank Redemption. Right. You know, Josh- movies from the early to mid-90s are now. And if you think about it, Movies from the 70s were classics to those growing up in the 90s. So I think sometimes we also forget that it's 2017. It's not 2000 anymore. And we also, there's there's a boom that happened technologically speaking that has advanced us really far, like starting like, you know, 2008-ish, where things just really kind of took a leap technology-wise with your entertainment. And when you watch a movie you want to like relate to a period and such and a kid in 2017 who's probably 15 or 14 and they're watching how are they going to relate to the Maltese Falcon like that's a time period that they are not close to at all i mean i, I mean sure. there's thematics there's thematics there's stuff but a lot of people watching don't break it down to a core don't appreciate that they're just like well this is old and, and goofy it's, it's different to them because i i don't know i i watch movies differently but i can sure see a kid not being able to even come close to that time period in terms of well, what it's like I, to be I, around i would counter that though because i, I would say i mean it, it, it of course depends on specific kids or whatnot and what they're watching already but i think if a young child that's not like too averse in 
cinema hasn't you know isn't you know going to see every new blockbuster every week or everything that's coming out now if they're just seeing like a handful of things and they haven't seen many things before i think you can look at something like maltese falcon as this as basically this seems like a genre movie now where it's this it's a crime story it's a detective drama Mm -hmm. it's got dialogue that i think still plays as far and which is why i think casablanca holds up so incredible but does it a lot of people but does does it play for a kid 10 years younger than you that's something we well i don't have a touch on like you know i I think ultimately it comes down to the nuance of each individual like i think the people who are interested in cinema or music or whatever it is right who want to dive in and discover what else is out there are always going to be the people who want to do that and then for the regular people who are just going to have a passing interest in cinema anyways, are not going to be as interested in watching a movie from the 40s where they're all wearing fedoras and talking in, in funny, fast voices. But is that, necessar- exactly. is that, is that necessarily true, though? Because that's the question that I have. I do think there is a, there's a strong appeal that people have for nostalgia and for older times now. I mean, there's a lot of people that you know dress a certain way and appreciate certain looks and whatnot, call them hipsters, call them what have you. But, I mean, I'm applying that more to just the hipster culture out there. I do think there is a kind of fondness that people are finding with an older style of doing things, whether it's watching certain movies, listening to certain music, or what have you. And I think that comes back to the accessibility point, because they're able to see all these things, and they want to emulate those ideas. Right, and that's the problem with making sweeping generalizations like these articles do. Which is what because, I want to speak. This is what I want to speak to because we're talking about some micro ideas as far as you know. Obviously, you know, individuals are individuals, so they have different tastes or what have you. Uh, but you know, speaking to a macro point, which is back to what you you essentially did, where you you spoke to the idea that yes, there are certain individuals that have a a collected idea of what they like versus a general audience that you know sees some you know the, the more of the modern thing or what have you. I think spe- we have to kind of make some definitions here. I think if we're going to keep this conversation going about whether or not this article has any validation to it um so as far as defining classic like we already talked about classic cinema at this point where yes something 20 years or older tends to fall into that realm and yes we're in 2017 i think if i do you know make an assumption which i don't like to do because it makes an asset of you an option um it's the the idea here is that it's talking about golden age cinema in particular i think i think it's it's 60s and prior i think is what it's Uh, maybe 70s included but i I think that's that's the i think that's the fairest way to look at it as far as how we're going to discuss this Mm -hmm. topic because it's easy to talk about you know people appreciating the 90s because that's 20 years old now and you know whatever but i think the something that i think makes a lot of sense as far as millennials versus older movies as in really older movies I think it works to speak the most about kind of the golden age of cinema. And yes, the sixties, which is after, but you know, sixties and beforehand. And I mean, I, I can I mean, I remember in high school, we just couldn't stop talking about safety last. Right. I mean, <laughs> I, I, on and I just know, watched like, safety last like two weeks ago and it's fantastic. <laughs> it <laughs> is fantastic. But you but know I, I, I know, I know, like, I know, I know what you're saying. I, know, I, I just wanted to find some rules first. Cause as we, as we keep going. So, cause I think, I think it's important that we keep this kind of, for now, as we kind of get into this bit a bit, for now, focus on this kind of 60s and before. And as far as who's watching this, I th- we're speaking about millennials. So what is that? Like, what what is the what is the average age of millennial right now? Like, mid-20s? Is that the idea? Apparently, the peak is 35. The I'll peak is 35. That. But, like, what's the... <laughs> I mean, if we're, if, we're, if, we're, if we're averaging out what a classic film is, which I'm saying oh, is four, 40s, 50s... Uh, uh, oh, four, we, so 13 is, is the youngest. 13 is a, 13's still a millennial. Yep. Okay. Apparently, 82 to 04, according to this chart I'm looking at. 
Yeah, so let's say mid twenties is fair. So mid twenties, yeah, okay. That'd be a medium. But the, the concern for me would be more if the kids that are into film that, that want to be critics, that want to be filmmakers, that they're not understanding or caring of classic films, then there'd be a problem. But that, general public, I, you know, like not like I've said, mm. I, I said before, not everyone's is into movies as everyone else not everyone wants to study them as far as anyone else like i said i'm probably the crummy a crummy wine drinker you know like is are they gonna write an article about millennials suck at wine because yeah killing wine but let, me, but let, but let me ask <laughs> let me ask you this i think i think it's fair to say that cinema is more universal than something like wine right i it's a it's a it, it I, for those I, who I really understand I under I understand there's a niche audience for certain aspects of cinema but mm-hmm. as a as a as a generality you would say cinema is a more it's a more common denominator to find between people in general it's a tough right? thing because everybody watches movies yes okay. uh, but who gets into them and how like how they you know it's I I think I think okay it's with my parents it's about difficult. Because my parents, like, I'll talk about older movies. Oh, my God, the acting was so bad back then. I'm like, well, it was of the time and stuff. And I have to explain to my parents why something will still hold up that they wouldn't even get a shot. And they're, of course, older than me because they're my parents. I think you're, but, I think you're fighting back against me, but I'm trying to get to a point because I agree okay, with what you're saying. Because <laughs> right. I'm trying to make some just no some fight, broad, just I'm, love. Just I'm trying to make some, some broad definitions here about what we're kind of in general going we can get into okay. more i think there's more thing obviously there's more stuff to get into but i think there's some general things we can get as far as yes classic cinema being under 60s the general the average millennial being around in mid 20s i would i mean yes there's there's niche ways to look at cinema as far as what you're into as far as what films you're going for what stars you're into what genres you're into what have you and yes mm-hmm. a general population obviously flocks towards modern day movies because they're out right now and they're you know they're it's it's saturation marketing so you see batman everywhere you go like i get that like i'm not going to say that you know classic films are making a comeback or they're clearly still more praised than modern films are now by this specific group and we could talk about groups as a whole in a bit as well but i i would say and again because of accessibility and the the ability to see things and just the nature of how certain tv shows work or how certain advertising works or the way youtube functions any number of these things I do think a twenty a a mid twenties person that has the internet at their at their fingertips any step of the day because they have smartphones that are in their pockets right there, um, that hears references all the time, that's on Facebook, that's on Twitter, that sees gifts, that sees all these things. I do think, regardless if they're an expert on classic cinema, I do think that there is a affinity towards older films still. I don't think that's completely gone. I I I do. Call me an you know the, the ultimate optimist in this scenario, but I mean, well, not everyone's going to name like Safety Last like you just did or M. I do think you know something like Casablanca, as I mentioned earlier, or even as you mentioned Maltese Falcon, or certain Hitchcock movies or things with Jimmy Stewart, like uh, movies that you watch in Christmas every year, like uh, It's a Wonderful Life. I do think there's a resonance there that connects with people of that of the, of our generation. I think that's there. Yeah. I think something that that uh, that exposed me anyway to a lot of those older movies were was having them in reruns on TV, mm-hmm. and I, and, I, and there's a difference between having a bunch of things on like a streaming service and then having reruns where like you don't have a choice in what's being played for you, but it's a classic movie. 
I mean, and the TV, I mean, growing up as a kid, it was always on, you know what I mean? So, I mean, I was exposed to a lot of David Lean movies, seeing them on a tiny television screen, you know, but it did like have, it did like, uh, like I said, I was exposed to a lot of images cinema movies that way. And that's something that, that doesn't exist anymore, really. Well, um, say. I mean, well, I would, we, I would I mean, say the, the younger set of millennials, maybe not experiencing it the same way because of the way DVR functions, or what have you, so you can see and peak TV in general. But I think the, that twenties in our range, honestly, I think that's why there's been this cultivation of taste for a lot mm-hmm. of like late eighties, early nineties movies that would play on repeat all the time. Something like right. you know, like Clueless. I mean, is considered a modern classic. I mean, you can argue if it is or not, but, but you know that, or even like, I mean, uh, you know me and my thoughts on Hook. Right. But Hook, Hook is a, like a key <laughs> example. Like, I don't like Hook. That's me. But obviously, there's a giant affinity towards that movie, probably because right. they, not only did they see it at the time and they saw it maybe on VHS when they were young, but like it'd be on TNT a lot because it's a movie that you know gets right. gets you know ratings. Like, so they. Play. Well, no drama. There are, <laughs> there, there are so many factors to consider when asking this question. Do millennials care about classic movies? And I think one of the most, or one of the things that's resonating most in my head is, okay, so what are we comparing that question to? Mm-hmm. So do Gen Xers care more about classic movies? Maybe, but I think what's interesting to consider is, let's say you're 25 in the early 1960s. You don't really have a whole lot of classic movies to look back to because that was, you know, the cinema is not that old compared to a lot of other art forms. And well, and you know what? There's we also don't not, have so it. there's no there's no real basis of comparison on that in that. So people who are now 60, 70, 80 years old, the movies we're considering as are as classics were brand new and there was not a huge catalog of titles released before the 20s and 30s. A little well, access and... to it. There's not re- revival theaters that are playing these things over and over again, or that you can stream it easily, you know, from your phone. Gotta well, hate the idea of that. But like, and and do millennials have time for classic movies? Do you realize how much content we get every day? Right. Yeah, that's, that's that's what I was gonna say. Like I mean, new content. Way... And, and there's something we don't, uh, us maybe not are as exposed, but YouTube stuff is huge. And, and like, I, I did a convention and stuff where the YouTube, quote-unquote, celebrities were the biggest draw. Like, they have lines mm-hmm. out the wazoo. And and that that's where a lot of people are loving it. I don't watch anything YouTube, and I don't understand the appeal, but it's there. And that's another thing that's their content. And, of course, uh, in a, like, and they have TV. They have new movies. They have streaming stuff that comes in. They have, you know... I mean, Netflix like, releases a new show every week. Right. At this point, mm-hmm. it seems like. And With that's 13 like... 13 episodes. Yeah, 13 hours. Right that's, there. It's a, it's, Six movies you could have watched. I mean, the culture the culture of the art itself has been changed by the medium and the way it's consumed, you know? I mean, everything has changed so much in just the past 10 years that, like you are saying, Maxwell, your whole thing, your, your whole thesis about, you know, those movies only being like 20 or 30 years old back in the 60s, I mean that's that's one that's one perspective, but another perspective is the way we consume media now, like Brandon is saying, is so different than ten, you know, fifteen, twenty years ago. That you know, classic movies are just another blip, like you said, between the YouTube feed, between your Facebook feed, your Twitter feed, you know, your podcast that you listen to, shows that you have on your on demand. You know, and I, I think... mean, it's just another. I mean, there's so much media now; we're just drowning in information, and it wasn't that way, you know, back. Yeah, and and I've I've seen studies before that because of the different 
ways in which we're getting media now, whether it be a podcast or all the different things you mentioned, um, people's attention spans are a little shorter in that even if they end up watching three or four episodes in a row of their show or listening to a couple podcast episodes, they're still perceiving that as less of a commitment than sitting down to watch a whole movie. Right. Mm -hmm. Even if it takes more time overall. And I, I think that's another interesting thing to consider. And that ties in both of your points. Do they even have time for classic movies anymore? If you're watching even 10 or 15 shows that you're trying to follow and then you listen to WTF with Mark Marin, and then you listen to Out Now with Aaron and Abe, and then you listen to this, and then you follow people on Instagram, and you want to watch their Instagram live videos, and then Snapchat, and then you know people show up at your door and perform a play in your living room. Which I is hope probably we're second on that list. That'd be great. If that was, that was that high <laughs> up there in priorities. Yeah, he <laughs> name-dropped name you twice. He said, listen to Out Now and Aaron and Abe, and then listen to this. I like the, so, yeah, no, yeah, like the end of the week. It's like, oh, WTF is out. Let me get that first. Then I'll get down, because you know, Mark Marity's great. But like then I'll get yeah. out now with Aaron and Abe. Then I'll, listen to, then I'll listen to that sweet bonus episode they did about me for the seventh time. Then I'll move on to the other responsibilities I have. Right. <laughs> That's it. But well, let, just... let me... Let me let me, let me stop for a second, like, because um, I feel like the the me- I, I'm getting a little muddled on like what we're saying here because we are the the original question is or the original you know co- concept is millennials don't care about old movies. Now we're currently talking about time to watch old movies, but what are we saying? Are we are we are we having an I'd agreement as far? I'd say it's not that they don't care. It's just it's another harping of like, hey, stuff from my past is so important, you need to pay attention to it type thing, like. I mean, they should, everybody should appreciate things in their past. Everybody should give it a shot, but it's not like demanded. And plus the millennial generation is going, has been living through a period in film history where everything's getting rebooted anyway. So they're getting a more modern catered to them version of an old story that we're pushing on them. That might be more relatable to them. We, we always turn our nose up and maybe don't care about them as much but it caters more to them than the old version probably did even though we like to think of the old version as timeless or you know it still resonates but a modern update is made for them not for us well i i think if we take and i I hate to keep going back to this but let's say we take the data or the common perception that millennials are not watching as many classic movies as those who are older than them and that's being perceived as them not caring. Maybe there are different reasons why they're not watching them, and I think that's what we're trying to figure out. Well, that's a fair assessment. And that I'm is... sure the millennials into film and that want to be filmmakers that like or just oh yeah, they're they're digging in. They are digging in. But every Absolutely. generation, I'm sure I'm sure there's people from Gen X that could have given less a crap about older movies and was just going with what was with the times. Yep. And maybe yep, even even the stuff that they grew up with, they don't look back as fondly as I might, you know. Sure, I mean, my sisters are all a lot older than I am, and they had they haven't seen movies from the '30s, '40s, even the '50s. They didn't care. Saying they're new, no just wasn't the, than any other generation that came right, before them. Right, exactly. That's, it just wasn't mm-hmm. a priority. They watched what came out. They watched, you know, what was on TV or what they could rent in the new release section, and they had fun and went on with their lives because we, movie movies were not a huge interest to them, and so. They chose to spend their time in other ways and going back and watching classic pre nineteen sixties movies. I think and when you're going through this renaissance, you don't if you're not you don't realize when you're living through some big era, it's not till after and people reassess and like, Oh, it was the greatest time for things. Like 
And you know, mm-hmm. I I I lived. I mean, I my coming of age a lot. My teen years and and things was the nineties, and I thought we were seeing good stuff. And then I look back and I'm like, what a shitty decade. I'm like, oh well, I was <laughs> learning stuff there. I like indie film with Tarantino, Rodriguez, all those people, and we were like, you know, trying out new things with Blockbuster. Wow. And I, then, I, don't, I don't think I need much of a poll to determine that the 90s is one of the better decades of film. Um, I, but, no, I, I get I've what you're seen, saying. I've I, seen it referred to as that before, too, but I'm like, well, not it wasn't to me when I was living through it, but okay. And it, it's just, it, it's different. It, it's Everything's different, but, you know, you got to let them have their own thing. You can't just, well, you don't like what I like? Well, huh. you know, they should appreciate the past. You always, you can learn a lot from the past. But you gotta let them have their own things too. You I, know, I, you can't. Just... I, I think you're speaking to the, the kind of the general answer that I think we're all leaning on, which I want to get back right. to in a second. I think what I'm what I'm struggling with slightly is that I've just I have such um you know kind of what's it called a coke bottle lenses on or whatever, like where I'm I'm seeing things rose colored glasses. I'm seeing things a certain yeah. way where I. Obviously, I'm a hu- we're all film, huge film fans. We're on a film podcast talking about this subject matter. Um, but like, I have issues sometimes separating the fact that I have I have such a fandom for cinema of all kinds of all whatever um, from like the quote unquote average person that maybe sees you know four movies a year, watches a lot of stuff on Netflix or what have you, but doesn't have the same sort of hasn't cultivated the same taste. Um, and it's. I try to speak to that as best as I can sometimes, but it does. But it, I think because of the the amount of admiration I have, I just try. I sometimes choose not to see it, where I think, which is why I think think so optimistically about just kind of a general understanding that, like, yeah, these are old movies that are also good that they can watch because why wouldn't they? And yes, I, I I do understand that there is a. <laughs> this is so strange to me. There's a world out there that doesn't know these older movies, doesn't watch them, and has no mm-hmm. real regard for them, which to an extent you can call a shame but as you're saying brandon and and the rest of you guys there is a i mean there's an obvious appreciation for the time that you're living in and what you're supposed to kind of speak to which gets back to what i was saying right before all this yeah the the concept that it's millennials that don't care about classic films is you can you can shape that to be true in your narrative but the more correct way of saying that would be that all ages don't care about you know some various form of film or whatever because of for a variety of reasons, as Maxwell, you pointed out, there's so many different facets of why someone's not, not necessarily not caring about or disliking, but just not finding the you know ability to be able to have an appreciation for an older time period of whatever topic you want to discuss. Well, you know, and also, too, to speak of, the generation that was supposed to love uh, Vertigo didn't. The generation that was supposed to love Blade Runner didn't. It was a yeah. younger generation that made that movie what those movies what they were. Yeah, films so that are stuff... ahead of their time is a fascinating topic as far as exactly. Those, and know. and it's those uh, crappy generations not appreciating classic film that are finding stuff in modern times that we may be overlooking right now, and maybe not appreciating the right way or aren't ready for, but they are. So there's there's that going for them as well. We'll we'll scoff at those who scoffed at the the idea of a Joker origin movie in twenty years. <laughs> Still a terrible <laughs> idea, but um... it is really really a terrible idea. I, I you know I, I don't think this is anything new. I remember as a kid in the eighties, I remember hearing about how music videos were going to tr- destroy attention spans and we're going to kill movies because we wouldn't be able to sit for an hour and a half 
you know, to watch a movie and stuff. So, I mean, this whole you know, generation is going to kill, you know, doesn't care about film thing is, it's not a new, you know, argument by any stretch. It's kind of an old song. I mean, Brandon and I just talked with uh, Robert James about Bonnie and Clyde, which is, you know, that's another way of ushering in kind of a new generation as far as how films were shot and made and what have you in the audience that responded. It wasn't the adults that made Bonnie and Clyde a hit. It was the young crowd that movie bombed originally before kind of drive-in theaters and a you know, a teenage audience really found their calling with that movie. It was kind of the same way with these writer as well, you know, yeah. going the independent route and finding a, finding a younger audience. So. Well, also, are they, there's the, you know, oh, they're not appreciating classic cinema, but are they appreciating the right classic cinema or this in certain ways classic cinema? Because I'm a person, like, I'm still enamored with, like, Blu-ray and physical media and seeing these restorations that I get that people are like, fuck, it's not, like, I've people had people see my collection and say, haven't you heard of Netflix? And, you know, it's, I guess, I, you know, out of touch, but I'm still stuck in a, in a portion where oh. I have an appreciation that other people do, which, are they watching classic cinema, but are they watching it the right way? Are they watching it <laughs> the best quality? Like, then you can get into those semantics. Like, there's, you know. Yeah, you, you know, it's, it's almost an unanswerable question because there's such a human element that you can't, we can't know unless we were to survey everybody or a truly diverse demographic of people, you're not going to get an answer. Well, I'd love to see an actual poll. That's not a thousand people from FYE.com. Yeah, absolutely. There'd be some interesting results there for sure. But like, if I want to point to this, ridiculous new york post article again at the bottom of you know given that it is from you know said poll it does have a kind of 10 most common movies millennials have seen and 10 most common movies over 50s have seen and it's an it's you know whatever it doesn't really matter but it's an interesting list to see of you know films that make a lot of sense to me as far as what they're coming up with but it would be interesting to see you know a much larger sample size from a much you know more credible poll essentially kind of and take in what we what their what commonalities you find right and it is interesting to note that both lists have four of the same movies which is you know well, not again, a small amount it's not and it again speaks to what people are choosing to watch and i mean you have yes you have people over 50s that have are sharing the same number of movies that people the millennials have i mean it's showing that there's a clear like i don't necessarily need to look back it's more of like i saw this at the time so of course yeah why wouldn't like it, it right well, even the list of people over the 50s have seen, it's most it's still mostly more recent movies. Mm-hmm. I mean, The Green Mile is on the over 50s list and not the under. Saving Private Ryan, these are not exactly, you know, still, you know, truly, you know, classic old films. Well, They're still and, from the 90s. And two, like, how effective is a classic film after they've seen things that have been... like the evolution of said idea from a film taken from years of inspiration done modernly and then going back to the old one and not seeing why it's not getting the effect of why it's the first thing that happened like with aaron you mentioned uh when we talked about bonnie and clyde and i call it a little bit of a ho-hum beginning and robert james scolded me he was like you kidding me this is epic this is showing this 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 and i'm like you know uh but after you know seeing years and years of evolution gone by like the, the person who watches 
so a movie that comes out in the 30s, the guy in the they watches it in the 40s isn't going to get that effect in the 50s and 50 and it dilutes the original originality of it because of that film's effect on other films which they'll see first and then go back too. So it's yeah, it's it's kind of crazy. Like that's, I, I mean, point that... to do you remember my you know no people of this show and are no strangers that Halloween's my favorite film of all time. Do you remember the big article years ago where millennials didn't like Halloween? I, I went to see Halloween in, in theaters a couple years ago, and half the audience laughed through the whole thing. Exactly. That's exactly. Why, that's why, why I refuse to go to theaters. theaters. I refuse to go to theaters to see Halloween. I just don't want to have and, that experience. Which is a shame. You, you would... Which is it's a shame because I've seen like all the paranormal activities, and I get the best audiences for those movies for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. It always works. Like I always have a great well, time. It's like okay. I, you know. To to be fair, I've seen Halloween twice on the big screen. The first time when they were laughing at it, it was a, a screening held at a, a chain theater. That was one of those mm-hmm. events that are held across the country. Mm-hmm. The second time I saw it in an art house, and it was full, and the audience was far, far more respectful and into the picture. So, right. you know, I wouldn't say don't go see old movies in theaters. Just choose the right theaters where it's going to be a receptive audience. Oh yeah, that's easily right. been my kind of mantra when it comes to seeing right. re- certain re-releases or what have you. Um, they're, but you know, yeah. if if you're if you're a kid in 2017 and you're in high school and you're watching Halloween, where are you relating to it? Like how, what's your reach on like what things were like in the seventies? Like what's, I mean, there's the thematics of babysitting there, but there's a a technological thing. You don't understand the movie on TV. The culture's different. You've never seen seen phones like that before. Right. (laughs) And, and, and and a lot of, a lot of instances when things things are old or there's an old uh, kind of slang, they laugh. That's what they do. They're like, oh, that's old. Like, there's a lot of shitheads that just laugh at things because they're old, which right. I can call them shitheads because I think laughing at something just because it's old is dumb and not really <laughs> warranted. Well, and but that goes back to the point that everybody's different and everyone's going to react to these things differently. I mean, I saw Halloween for the first time when I was, you know, 13, 14, and it was the mid to late 90s, and I didn't laugh at it, but that was because I had a genuine interest in cinema, and I was taking those years between 10 and 15 to really start exploring everything that was out there and not just what was coming out now. I'm sure Scream would make some modern kids laugh, and that was like uh, the thrill ride of the, the 90s. That was I mean, a huge... But that movie is, I mean, there's legit humor going, and I mean, I think there's people that, you know, get what it's doing, but also think people that just are in there to genuinely enjoy a movie, and the movie does have laughs in it. Like, I don't think... Well, it's... yeah, Scream is yeah, a funny movie. Yeah. So does, but does Scream play as well without the slasher movie tropes to play off of? Well, Probably that's, not. That's an interesting you know question. I mean? That's what that's what I that's yeah. what I want to lead to right now. I think there. I mean, there's honestly there's a whole sequel podcast to this one, which really excited that guy that had this third on his priority list of the podcasts to listen to. Um, where <laughs> I think there's something to say about the films that really do stand the test of time, not just ones that are still like, hey, that's great to watch, even though it's old, but ones that really have universal themes or ideas or sense of humor. I mean, you mentioned Safety Last, which again I just watched Havana like not too long ago. That's a movie where I really don't think it relies on. It doesn't matter about the the you know the kind of generation it comes from. It's, I mean, obviously comedy is subjective, but the what's going on in that movie isn't really related to the era that it's within. It's just a guy that's right. you know having a lot of pratfalls and eventually has to climb a building, and that's I think that's all. I mean, 
obviously, again, subjective, but that's always funny. Like, I mean, there's no, besides the kind of costume design, I don't think there's anything that really kind of displaces that in, or, you know, specifically holds that back because of its time period. And I think But him hanging off the building isn't as breathtaking now that they've seen so many effects, and that's kind of a common thing when that was a life-threatening daredevil event that they just, I don't think can understand that. I would, th- I would think there would be an assumption that because the movie was so old, um, that they just, and, I mean, if you know Safety Last, you know that he wasn't really hanging off a building. But they have all to dig. In, they have to dig into Safety Last to do that. Do yes, they see like, Safety Last and dig in, like, or do they just well, let's pass talk, by and watch it? Well, let's talk about this hypothetical right. situation where you know they're watching this older movie where they're assuming, yeah, they don't have this technology back then because I think in general people are at least smart enough to realize that, and so they'd be thinking that yeah, this person probably climbed this entire building or did something or there's something clever about that construction of that shot. Even if they're not like saying that out loud, I think at least on a subtextual level, I think there's an understanding that this is not only, you know, not only is there comedy here, but there's a degree of challenge involved in how this but got be got to be made. I've seen I, some of their tweets. I'm so not sure. <laughs> I hate I hate to be cynical, but I don't think most people would re- come remotely close to thinking that way about an old movie. Yeah. Like that, like safety last. For it's a different I would hypothetical. Argue, I, I, I understand. I would this. argue. Yes. How I can't even begin to think how they would end up coming to safety last in the first place. <laughs> let's see, let's say they're watching PCM and safety last is on. Mm-hmm. I would think most most people twenty five years old who aren't already have a serious interest in film would just keep changing the channel. Like. After well, taxi yeah, driver tonight, we have safety last. It's it's black and white and silent. I no doubt you know give you that for sure. I, I've tried to talk in the most kind of like in a vacuum way as possible, but I get that yes, it's not it's not all that likely. Especially safety last, by the way. <laughs> not, not even talking about Buster Keaton or Charlie. I'm talking about Harold Lloyd. <laughs> so it's like yes, this is not a a thing that's like immediately going to happen. Um, but and TCM I, ain't doing that until two a.m. But that's, even something like Duck Soup, which is a broad slapstick comedy and I mm-hmm. think is hilarious mm-hmm. and has sound, I think a lot of people would still change the channel if they weren't actively seeking out to watch that in the first place. Well, those classic films like like Duck Soup is a good example. They look like big, broad, like, or the big, broad stage like productions kind yeah. of captures film and that just doesn't appeal to their eyes well let's like, jump let's jump it up it all looks, jump it's, it's, let's jump it up like multiple decades get to something like willy wonk and the chocolate factory which is a film that i do think there's a lot of millennials that absolutely love regardless yeah, of they're huge agreed. cinema fans or not why that's is, one what, of the hand-me-down films there's that the wizard of Oz. there's a lot of there's yeah there are there are a certain that, upper echelon of films that have been passed on seriously the mickey mouses that. that never die because mickey mouse has yeah. always been around he's always a thing those films just there's hand-me-down films like that that stick. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I do think that black and white is a big hindrance for a lot of... I had a lot of friends in college that wouldn't watch something when it came right. black and white films. So and black you, and white films were ixnated with my friends. Once you start getting into color, I think people are more open to watching older films that were in Technicolor. It's a fair statement. Yeah, I guess to, to, to which keep, I to think keep... is terrible because some well, of yeah, the best so I... movies ever are in black and white. Mm-hmm. But regardless, I think to keep to keep it back on this topic specifically, I think what we're what's being said in addition to yes, black and white tends to be a kind of a no no for a certain crowd, which is probably more of a majority than I'd like to realize. I no, do... it's their loss. I, yes, it is their loss. But I do think again, 
what we're trying to say is that it doesn't apply merely to millennials. I'm sure there's no, it does not. Yeah, there's it there's does plenty not. of generations, including the ones that are over fifty or over sixty, even that just don't want to see movies of that type anymore. They want to see what's yeah. new or what you know, at least something it, that it, will engage it, or stimulate their eyes because of the wild colors going on. Sure. As opposed to and it partly has to do with human psychology, individual taste, the way that the shifting way in which we get contact content on a daily basis has rewired our minds. There's so many factors. I don't think you can ultimately say, stupid millennials don't want to watch Harold Lloyd. God. <laughs> which, which, we have to say that we are four people on this podcast that are in a, in a mentality and realm of film where we don't see the difference when we watch between whether it's real soldiers or like ape soldiers we break things down to a core to where we we enjoy many different types of movies right. we can see what things are so it doesn't matter if it's you know yeah like like dunkirk or war for the planet of the apes we get it on a core level that it could have been whatever like Whoa. it could have been apes in dunkirk and we <laughs> it didn't matter that actually sounds kind of cool. Don't but, give WB honestly, more ideas today. They've got enough. I'm just I'm just saying exactly that exactly like the most fair people to be talking about this. We're projecting we all, ideas yeah. and thoughts on, on stuff when we're at a whole level that's very different well, than what I mean, this I mean, is that's trying a, to grab that's, a, from. that's exactly what I was talking about earlier as far as my perceived optimism because of how right. obsessed I am with film in general, well, where I don't even, I don't choose to see certain things if I don't have to. We're four guys that rarely turn our nose up. We're going to go optimistically and give most things a shot, I would say, is a fair assessment. Right. But even if we, like, take my my mom, for example. Like, she likes movies. She's not super into them in the way that I am. But let's say we see the same movie or we end up talking about something older. I'll start talking about it and she'll go, you know, see, I just don't watch it or think about it in the same way that you do. And that's totally fair. That's just a different approach. But because we tend to approach films in a more serious matter and peel back the layers and analyze everything from shot construction to narrative intent to theme to what sort of camera lenses they use. That puts us in a different group than most people who just go and watch movies. Yeah, I can, watch, I can watch a film on a purely visual level and think it's great, even if the story's kind of shit, the characters suck or something like that, but I can... I can say, man, I really enjoyed that because I was in love with the visuals on that movie and give it a pass on that when someone else would be like, I was just shit and just never appreciate it on the cinematography, lighting levels like that because they just don't see it that way. I, I don't want to get too far into the, the pridefulness of how great we oversee films. No, 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 no. I know, I know, you're, I know you're, you're, I'm kidding. I know you're Maxwell, not. Maxwell, you're the best movie watcher. <laughs> and Aaron, you rock at watching movies. I, I, I'm, I'm kidding. I, I'm, Jim Pace but, play like eight, no one else. Plus, guys, eight plus you all. I'm gonna I'm, send you off. Go we're not, we're not, we're not nearly drunk enough for that. Okay? You know, I'm, yeah. you, you know, <laughs> I, you know, I'm joking. But I do think, I mean, what you're speaking to, um, I mean, that applies to what I call the cinema score audience. Where, yeah, they're not. It's not a. It's not a matter of breaking everything down. But I do think it. I mean, having a general opinion on something is certainly not invalid. Now, I, I, I would never say that. That's why I don't. You know. <laughs> That's why Abe and I have a podcast where we have a variety of different voices and everything because we're certainly not snobs. We're not trying to find people that only agree with us or have our similar opinions. Right. But I do, I do think that there's plenty, there's plenty of validity in seeing not just the kind of, 
you know, erudite film critics speak their mind on what makes a good film, but also the average moviegoer. And average does not mean, you know, dim in any way or anything like that. Oh. It just speaks to a person that maybe sees less movies than you do because that's just the way that it is. And well, I, I, I theorize I, the... Sorry. And I, I do think there's a lot of credibility that goes to not just the, as I was saying, seeing the you know entire breakdown of a film, but just seeing a general thought on something. There's a lot to take away from, you know, seeing, you know, a, a group of... 200 people in one theater that laughed at a comedy or, you know, cried at a drama because it was effective for them in very, you know, specific ways, whether they be broad or not, whether they have to do with the way the movie was filmed or just the general reaction that it was likely going for. There's, there is plenty to speak to as far as why that's a completely fair assessment of a film. Um, yeah, I, I theorize the way that most people critique or review or whatever word you choose a movie is... I have a certain set of expectations and how did the movie ultimately end up aligning with those expectations? And I think that's exactly what a cinema score is reflective of. Yeah. I thought this was going to be funny. It was funny. B plus. I, I thought it was going to have a better ending and I hated the ending in this horror movie. F. That sort of thing. And you have to, obviously there's a kind of a curve you have to adjust for because people that are doing cinema score, people that paid for movie tickets and a person that pays for a movie ticket, which I don't think people nearly talk about it much, they're not going into that movie hoping they like it. They're going to that movie knowing that they're probably going to like it. That's why the cinema scores right. are so high. That's why you have to judge them on a scale. That's why a B minus is not good on cin a B is not good on cinema score. Because right. generally people paying money are like, I paid money, so clearly I'm going to get what I want out of this. They're not, they're not going to be happy admitting that they, you know, had a terrible time with this movie unless it was absolutely terrible so they're gonna judge it right. they're, they're, you know it's not a it's not a high bar for them to pass as far as going to a movie on average and being like yeah i enjoyed that why not like i got my money's yeah. worth well and also there's there's some people like general audiences have weird like one little minuscule thing could happen in a movie just to like ruin it for them all like a whole yeah 30 seconds like i I when when places I have worked in the past, I, I I am a headphone listener because I don't want to hear their um, pop culture slash uh, TV film conversations because they will be like nails on a chalkboard and it's probably <laughs> best for me just not to engage. And I one time I, I didn't I heard someone talking about a I can't remember what movie it was but it was a really a great movie. This person was telling someone never to watch. It was terrible and da 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 and I and I decided to open. It. I go. Uh, why was it terrible? And they're like, oh, because so-and-so kicked a dog in it. And that was the reason they were telling someone never to watch this actually great movie. And I, I wish I could think of what it was. Anchorman? But, no, it wasn't Anchorman. <laughs> um, but it was it was a great movie. And said, oh, because he kicked a dog in it. I'm like, that that's it? That that's why the rest of the movie's terrible. Tippy, let's not limit dog the... was... and let... but that some people that's your you're trying to get the pulse of a general audience. That's where some of them think it's it's something. And wow. if I think last November can show us we don't know the pulse of a general audience. Um, but, I mean, <laughs> a lot it, of the times. I think to be fair though, don't limit that to a general audience. There's plenty of you know you know movies seen by critics or what have you where the same right. exact thing is attacked over. Think about Batman and Superman. Yeah. What is the yeah. thi what is the thing that everyone latched onto? It's Martha. I mean, that's mm -hmm. <laughs> not just the audience, critics. Like that's, right. that, was the entire, right. that was an entire well, narrative that, built up around that. That's a product of the Twitter hive mind and how one person says something and then everyone. That's a whole other conversation. But that about. movie also it's made like eight hundred million dollars, so it wasn't it's, like hated. It, I mean, no, it's not. You know, that there's a there's people, a there's a curve you have to adjust for of a movie that has Batman and Superman well, that's by default going to make money. Uh, everyone <laughs> has their own. You can make money, weird. but then that's making. I know we're in the billion dollar realm, but that's not damn that near movie. Close to a billion dollars. 
not that movie, but it's close. I mean, well, I think that speaks to the hated point. I think if it was, you know, not okay. if it didn't have the naysayers that it did, it probably would have got. Okay, Jurassic dollars. World apparently is a there terrible movie, but <laughs> made over a billion dollars. So yep. <laughs> that's super huge. That movie. <laughs> it's my son's favorite Lego game. So it is a good Lego game. We're um, <laughs> I think we're obviously turning <laughs> off topic a bit. Um, I want to, I, I want, I want to scale it back down to the, you know, the the main conversation we're having about millennials versus classic film, and I think we've got a lot of answers as far as, or at least a lot of healthy discussion about the nature of that topic and why it seems to be misleading. Namely, that millennials aren't to blame. It's a kind of universal thing that applies to any generation of film. It's just this is the popular no, thing but to write Aaron, about. millennials are to blame for everything. Yes, <laughs> everything. You woke up on the right, wrong side of the bed this morning? Millennials. It's, it's not that they, they it's come out from under they're... the bed, they pull you over, and then you roll out. And you're like, aha. Yeah. <laughs> you, you got me again, 22 year old. They escaped down the fire escape. Yeah. Brandon, what were you so, saying? I'm sorry. I was saying, well, I was just going to add that it's not, you know, they, they're not owning houses. It wouldn't be that, you know, some people aren't retiring and the jobs and money isn't there. It's they just. Anyways, I well, get tired of that. I, I've never seen. I don't know if I just examine the context. I don't know if I, I'm just living in the now. I remember Gen X getting a lot of crap back in the day, but I've never seen a generation get so much flack as the the millennials do. It's always. I mean, this movie thing was just another kick, but it's it's just yeah. it's beyond ridiculous. It's it's the older generation resenting youth in a lot of ways. Yep. You know it's what always I mean? been. And... Even though one can make the argument that a lot of the issues that are getting blamed on millennials exist because of the shape that older generations left this country in. You know, yeah. you have to look back and see where it all starts from. And no matter how hard they try, the millennials will be in charge one day. So guess what? Yeah. You haven't learned. Humans grow old. They die. They uh, Humans grow up. They take over. Then, you know. You... Guess what, Brandon? What? You're older now than you just were when you said that. I know, I know. Ooh. Amazing how that works. I don't, I don't want to go far, too far down this path, but there is, you know, you could, you could say that it would be because of millennials that we're able to see so many classic films still. Well, it'll, right. it'll, it'll keep sure. up, uh, the the kind of passing the buck. Absolutely. So you would say would happen Absolutely. because the of the, the fact that someone in 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 Spokane, Washington, could log on a film truck and watch all these movies now, where. 15 years ago even they would have to find a small mom and pop video rental store that would maybe even have to call and order that movie i mean right. it's such a drastic difference well you guys remember suncoast i was a frequent like special order person there mm -hmm. yeah they, i would have to find stuff I, I had to get suspiria from suncoast for like 30 bucks special I bought, ordered i bought the shadow on dvd for 24.99 and I think yeah. in some ways the millennial like film geeks that I do know are deeper into it because they're able to access so many more things than my generation was. You know what I mean? I mean, yeah. the uh, the people I do know who are passionate about film usually have a much deeper and, and broader uh, uh, base to, 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 uh, to reference, you know, to, to talk about and to, to work from. Uh, than you know, film even film geeks in my generation because of access, you know. So maybe you know, I, I, I mean, it, 
I don't know. I don't know if millennials are turning their back on golden age of cinema or like this article says or whatever. But you know, anecdotally, what I find is that the people who are into cinema are into it, have a much broader base to 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 cover and a much uh, greater frame of reference from having seen more films from being able to have be able to see more films. You know, if that makes any sense. It like, does. No, and I, I, mean, was just, yeah, I was just I was just thinking about a Warner Archive. Um, I was at, to make a very specific example, I was at Comic-Con, um, and I was at the Batman, the Mask of the Phantasm panel, because that just came out, that was coming out on Blu-ray. And it's a classic film. It, it is, is a classic film. It, it is. It's a great, one. it's a great film is what it is. Oh, oh it yeah. is. It really yeah, is. I love it. And so, but they, so the people at Warner Archive, the, uh, at least two of them, they host a Warner Archive podcast. Um, one's name is Matt's, one's name is DW. Um, they, they're probably Gen X at most. Um, at least Matt is, but they, I mean, they were responsible for getting that movie out of the, you know, the archive and digging into it and, you know, doing the transfer and everything and getting, you know, the work put out. And that's why it's now on Blu-ray because two people that are at least around our age had a desire to put this among the other movies. I'm sure they work on, they work for Warner archive. So, I mean, that's what they do. I mean, what I'm saying is, yeah, there is a, it is because these younger generations that we're probably going to be able to keep seeing a lot of movies. We're going to get, keep getting 4k restorations of things and getting it, you know, have uh, great Blu-ray editions of movies that you might not have been able to see ever before. Like it's, that's going to go a long way in, as far as history goes. Instead of you know having things locked away in secret vaults in Brazil or something, you're going to be like, oh no, we have this movie readily accessible because we put the effort in to find it. Yeah, it's. I mean, somewhere like right now, we're like, oh, I wanted this special edition of this movie, and they didn't do anything. Well, some kid's going to love that movie, grow up, become that exec that puts out that special edition of something. You know, it's yeah. what happens. Like a lot of movies I loved came on these bare bones dvds when they came out because i used to hold out for like dvds like well it doesn't have any bonus features so i'll wait for the one that does i i refused to they... buy kill bill for the longest time until i realized that tarantino is just not going to do anything yeah. <laughs> right there, there, there are people like you know woody allen tarantino like there's there's people that are some like sticklers but i mean with the advent of these like boutique labels now that we're living in like people may think like the home video market's dying but it's just turning into a whole new thing with a bit, I, I'm equating like what the future of Blu-ray 4k stuff to, to what vinyl has become in its resurgence where, you know, if you're in the know, if you're, if you're in the collecting thing, it's, there's no better time because you have like synapse film shout factory arrow that are just giving love to these, like just low grade titles that you always wanted to see uh bonus feature for. And they're like the most honest bonus features ever. Like these commentaries where, you know what? This guy's not working anymore. He didn't care if he's going to get an acting job, so he just says whatever. I'm going to love something like, cri- like Criterion, which I know you handle a lot of those. I handle Criterion, yeah. where they're handling not only like classic films, but also a lot of niche films that you just don't know about. Um, right. That and giving that the care that they you know kind of deserve or whatnot, since they're and they've got such them. they got such tenure that they could bring out the crappiest film from France, and people were like, "Ooh, I got to see that." Criterion put it out. Mm-hmm. You know. I just I think it's amazing that you're unable to reference like films that weren't even available on VHS at, at some points. You know, like I think about movies like uh, like Over the Edge, uh, like one of Matt Dillon's early films, which is like really really true like look at suburbia in like the early '80s and stuff, or or like Get Crazy with Lou Reed and Malcolm McDowell. You know, these kind of like like you said niche movies or kind of movies that fell between the cracks or got a limited release on VHS when they came out or were limited only or released only on VHS when they came out. 
and and now it's just great i can make references to these movies and people know what i'm talking about you know it's not right i don't, I don't have to pull out some giant book you know of cult films and look it up and <laughs> blow the dust off it before you open the cover exactly you know i've got my turn off the lights i have a slideshow to show you i'm looking at my copy of cult movies one and two on my shelf right now you know i mean well yeah like shout factory put out a movie a couple years ago called without warning and oh yeah it's just one that dean cundy shot and it's just like slasher movie with an alien and it only played at like drive-ins in the early '80s, and never came on VHS, never came on DVD. There was some bootlegs of the film reel that someone took to a VHS and would pass around at like conventions and stuff, but it wasn't a real transfer. They they put it out on its first release ever on home video was a Blu-ray, and they're doing stuff like that, which there's still stuff to be discovered from the forgotten stuff. So maybe there's millennials that will just go, "What's this? Don't know here," because. Yeah, you never know what what they're gonna produce. And, well, so and you know, the great the greatest living filmmaker Neil Breen at the height of his powers right now. Right. Yes, he is. Of... We're, we're getting into <laughs> Breen territory, which means it's coming towards the end of the podcast here. Um, <laughs> any any final <laughs> thoughts that we have about the the original topic where millennials don't care about classic movies? Any final words you want to say? Do what you do, millennials. You're no different than any other generation. Uh, those of you who are into film, keep digging, keep searching, keep keep learning i'll give you the advice of william friedkin who said don't go to film school all you need is to watch all the works of alfred hitchcock and you'll learn everything you need to know and i still think that holds true today well that's a that's a good statement right I, there <laughs> i don't know if i could have said it better myself well with that said let's uh, let's do some quick uh, quick plugging real quick uh, jim deets where can people find more of your work online uh com is the home of the dc tv podcast and the walking dead tv podcast uh, Taylor Network of Podcast.com is the host of uh, uh, Network for Spirit of 77 and Nothing's On. And you can follow me on Twitter at Yoda Jones. Brandon Peters. Mm, call it Cinema Cavalcade. Uh, we have a new episode coming out, uh, Death Stalker 3. Uh, you can find us at uh, CC Cavalcade on Twitter and Instagram. And we also have a Facebook page. There's a third Death Stalker. Oh, there's. <laughs> I, I think I've seen the first two, but maybe not the third. There's, there's four and two spinoffs. Oh man, I'm behind. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, there's a fourth hatchet now, also. Oh yeah, that's what I heard too. I was like, "What?" Cool. Ma- Maxwell hatted. Yeah, uh, follow me on Twitter at Cinemaxwell, or you can find me uh, slumming around Broadway somewhere. You can find me at Aaron's PS4 on Twitter. You can find me also writing at WhySoBlue.com as well as the code Zeke.com. Um, this podcast you can you found on iTunes most likely, but it's on iTunes on Audio Boom. It's everywhere you can find podcasts. I actually check around to see, and yeah, we actually are available pretty widespread, which is neat. Um, please email us at outnowpodcast at gmail.com or leave us uh, some feedback on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash outnowpodcast, or even if you have a 140 character comments you want to uh, throw at us a Twitter at outnow underscore podcast. I want to hear um, if there's any counter arguments to what we've talked about today about this subject, or if there's anything in support of it, or just any feedback in general, because this is a fun episode to do. This is the fun kind of thing that we like to do on Out Now every now and then, in addition to you know movie reviews. It's fun to get into actual specific topics. So if you want to hear more of this kind of stuff, please feel free to you know, let us know. Let us know any opinions you have. Also, share it. Tell other people about it. It'd be great. It'd be great to spread the word on this. iTunes reviews and ratings also are also good as well. But yeah, uh, Jim, Maxwell, Brandon, thank you all for joining me to discuss this. I think this was a great discussion. Mm-hmm. Hashtag out now millennials. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Thank yeah. you. And uh, yeah, so um, 
yeah, that's going to do it for this uh, special bonus episode. I look forward to more of these kinds of conversations um, in the future. But yeah, until next time, so long and goodbye. We got stars Detox for your brands Overdose of Christmas I'll give it up for Lance My friends are all so cynical We refuse to keep the faith We all enjoy the madness Cause we know we're gonna fade away we got-